You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia, the post-World Baseball Classic edition of Rico Bronia. It's going to be good to get everybody back. The WBC was a lot of fun. Yippity-doo-dah. Japan won the gold. We finished second, but we get Pete Alonso back. <laughs> we get Jeff McNeil back. We've already gotten Francisco Lindor back. It's going to be very good to have the guys back. A couple of thoughts on the WBC and its impact on the Mets. Obviously, the Edwin Diaz injury is the headline, but Pete Alonso did not play a lot, and I understand why he didn't. Paul Goldschmidt deserves to be the Team USA first baseman. My one critique of Mark DeRosa was I would have started Pete Alonso with DH. I would have had Kyle Schwarber in the outfield. I would have sat Cedric Mullins. No offense to Cedric Mullins, especially against the lefty. So I would have started Pete. I would have gotten him ABs, but that's just a managerial difference of opinions me and Mark DeRosa have. As far as Pete not getting a lot of at-bats is concerned, you knew it was a risk. You know, you knew when you're on a loaded roster like this, it's possible you're just not going to play a lot. So I would think Pete Alonzo went into this competition knowing hey, I'm good. I'm on this roster. I deserve to be on this roster. I don't know if I'm getting a million at-bats. You're also only playing seven games over a few-week period. If you're in Port St. Lucie, Florida with the Mets, you know, not that you would play every single game, but the Mets are basically playing every single day. That was not the case with Team USA, really any team in the World Baseball Classic. So for Pete, Coming back to Met Camp is going to be good just to get some at-bats in and get used to the pitch clock because these guys escaped the pitch clock rule, which is still an adjustment for hitters, especially a guy like Pete. So it'll be good to have Pete back. It'll be good to have McNeil back. As far as the World Baseball Classic is concerned, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I got a good rating. I think about four and a half million people watched the finals between USA and Japan. I've always found the World Baseball Classic to be entertaining during a time of spring training in which I want to poke my eyes out. I am done with spring training. And I said early on that I'm usually done with spring training about a week in. Yeah, about a week in, I'm done. You know, I'm checking the box scores. I'm watching highlights. Sometimes I'll even watch a game. But it's get me to freaking opening day. The WBC, since its inception in 2006, has always been a great distraction for a couple of weeks. I have never freaked out about the injuries. I said that going in. Injuries happen. Injuries are fluky. The Mets have had injuries away from the WBC. The Mets obviously had a big injury at the WBC. It's a part of baseball. It's going to happen. I don't resent the World Baseball Classic because there are injuries. I never have. 
I'm not going to start now just because of un- what unfortunately happened to Edwin Diaz. So selfishly as a baseball fan, I've always liked the baseball classic as a distraction away from the monotony of spring training. I put on Mets Astros right before we went on the air on our Wednesday program. I put it on, no offense to Steve Gelbs and Jerry Blevins. They did a fine job filling in. I checked out Kodai Senga pitching. And I'm telling you, two pitches into the game, I thought to myself, what am I watching? After what I just watched, (laughs) after watching the World Baseball Classic, intensity, the crowd's going nuts, and now I can hear a pin drop as Kodai Senga is facing an Astros double-A player I've never heard of. But I'm a sick man. I'm a sick enough man where I put on Mets spring training less than 24 hours, basically 12 hours after the World Baseball Classic. Real quick, you did you enjoy the WBC, Pete? I know your kids loved it. Yeah, I got to be honest, I did. It was exciting. I was locked in. Uh, listen, we were rooting for a lot of different teams. The kids were into it. I mean, my from my youngest to my middleest, who doesn't even like baseball, to my oldest, Every single one was like jumping up and down when Trey Turner hit that home run, that grand slam. Anthony was bugging out every time Trey Turner hit a home run. Like he was just like, it was unfortunately for him as never seeing a championship at only five years old, it was like a World Series to him. Every game. Well, when when USA lost, when Mike Trout struck out to future Mets Shohei Otani, were you depressed or did you very quickly move on and say, oh, it was a fun game. All right, I'm going to bed. So I was actually had to get into my car um, at the start of the the bottom of the ninth or the top of the ninth, excuse me, because I had to go pick up my mother in law. So I had to listen to it or whatever. So I didn't have the same feel of sitting there watching it. But yeah, when I heard it, it was deflated. It wasn't like I moved on right away. I was actually deflated for like a half a second. Yeah, it took me about two minutes to move on. <laughs> I think about me during a during a Mets loss. You know, I'm depressed for an hour, maybe six hours sometimes. And in this case, it was like, yeah, that sucks. Okay, let's move on. Otani's incredible, by the way. And I remember a year ago, maybe less than a year ago, on an earlier edition of Rico, we did a debate of who would you rather go after? Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, and we brought up Juan Soto. And I've always expressed a skepticism of Otani, and I still have it. The, The skepticism of how long can he do this? And I think that's a natural skepticism. That's, a kind of, I think, a fair view to have if you're especially going to give a guy a 10-year deal and pay him, you know, a billion dollars, which is yeah, certainly on the table. And that skepticism remains because Shohei Otani is literally doing something none of us have ever seen. The Babe Ruth comparison does not work. Babe Ruth didn't do this. He didn't, he didn't pitch and hit at this high a level this amount of times. He didn't. I think 1919 was essentially the only year where Babe Ruth did both. And he threw 160 innings, which for back then was not a lot. I know 160 innings now is a full season. It wasn't a lot. And he got 500 plate appearances. That was it. So Otani is doing something no human being has done. But you watch him in the WBC, and obviously we've watched him over the last few years, when we can. It's not like we're watching every Angels game. And you look at, A, his stuff on the mound. You look at his swing. You look at his speed, you know, beating out that infield hit. And you say to yourself, this guy's a god. Like, this guy is as close to a god playing baseball as we've ever seen. 
And I know you could be listening to this saying, oh, Evan, he hasn't proven anything yet. Well, uh, playoffs. Uh, the Angels suck. We all know that. We all know the Angels are a bad franchise and they're a bad team. And I, does Shohei Otani pitching and hitting well in the WBC prove that he'd be prime time in October? Sometimes it's just being at a slump in the wrong time. It's not necessarily being coming up small in a big spot. But Otani in the World Baseball Classic, that's his super championship. So I have no fear that Otani can't perform in October. I have no fear that Otani can't hit in New York. And I come to the realization, and maybe a lot of you guys have already gotten there with this, where I don't think there's a price too high for him. I don't. I think you walk up to him with a blank check and say, fill it out. We want you on the team. Because the reward for a guy like this is, it's it's the greatest reward ever. It's an ace and a slugger and a guy who can steal 25 bases. Like, it's not even human. He's a creative player on MLB The Show. That's what he is. So I've gotten to the place now with Otani, and I we're not going to spend a lot of time during the season talking about this. I've mentioned before, it's next year, it's next year. Let's worry about next year, next year. I'm bringing it up because we just witnessed this in the WBC, and then we'll forget about it, okay, until the offseason. I would literally give him whatever he wants. And the risk is, well, maybe he won't be able to do both for a long time. Okay. As long as he can do one of those two things well, at least I got something. And the reward, if he can do both, is a baseball player that would be worth $80 million a year, maybe more, because he's a $40 million a year pitcher, potentially, and a $35 million a year batter, and the fact that that only takes up one roster spot, <laughs> that adds more value to it. And I got to tell you, I was so intrigued by him coming out of the bullpen, and I started thinking to myself, wait a second. Now, I know he's a starter. He wants to be a starter. But we have the new Otani DH rule now in Major League Baseball, where he can start a game as DH, leave the game as a starter, but remain in the game. So based on that rule, that would lead me to think, Pete, He's the DH, and he could come in a pitch in the ninth inning, and even if he comes out of the game, he's still the DH. So I don't even have to worry about that weird, hey, how do I somehow use him out of the bullpen and keep his bat in the lineup? He can do both. I I, I am in a full Hoff. I'm in a trance now for Shohei Otani. The only place that Shohei Otani is not worth it is in, is in fantasy baseball because you have to do you have to draft two Shohei Otanis to make it work. That's right. the only place it doesn't work. In real life, the guy is a he's a cheat code. It's really yeah. unbelievable. And and I, I gotta say this, and it's 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 not a hot take. It is what it is. He's the greatest athlete of all time because what other person could dominate their sport the way he can, the way he does. There's no there's no football player that plays offensive defense. Right. Right? I mean basketball you can, but again it's different. It's just he's unbelievable. I think that there may be guys capable of doing both and that teams won't allow it. I'm sure that there have been guys in the past that could have pitched, could have pitched, could have hit. I'm not denying that. He's obviously been able to fight through where in Japan they let him do both. In Major League Baseball, he basically said, I want to do both, but he's still doing it. So I wouldn't dismiss it by saying other guys would have done it. No big deal. I'm acknowledging other guys may have been able to do it, but Otani is the only one who's done it. So I, I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, I, I, 
seriously, and we'll see what happens this regular season, blank check. Now, that, that's how I would treat free agency. I would say, look, you just tell me what you want, and we'll give it to you. And he's obviously going to have to want New York, which, who knows? I have no idea. As far as the rest of Metcamp is concerned, Kodai Senga looked good. I mean, he looked okay, I guess. It's, it's tough to know. It's just, we got to see him. Major League Baseball games, regular season, lineups, uh, how Buck uses him, how quickly he'll pull him out of a game. But so far in spring training, he looks fine. I noticed he was beating the pitch clock quick in that first inning. Like he was getting his pitches off at the seven second mark. So he was not using every bit of that pitch clock. Speaking of which, David Robertson apparently hates the pitch clock, which I'm not surprised about. I read back at some past comments David Robertson has had about Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball. He had a comment last year in which he said every rule change they've ever created has sucked. So he's not a big fan of anything baseball has done, which is fine. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with him on a lot of things. Uh, I'm not worried about someone hating the pitch clock and then struggling because of it. David Robertson, to his credit, is a pro. He's a pro. And he's a guy who's had a long career. He's done it in some pressurized situations, obviously with the Yankees on multiple occasions. He's come back from a major injury. David Robertson can hate the pitch clock all he wants. That's okay. He's going to adjust. And if David Robertson struggles this year, which he may, you never know from year to year with relievers, to me it will not be about the pitch clock. So him saying he hates the pitch clock, they should get rid of it, whatever. I mean, honestly, I don't even care anymore. He he can hate it. He can do whatever he wants with it. You got to live with it. Those are the rules. You just have to figure it out. The tweaks that they made to the pitch clock are very minor. And I thought for a second, maybe they were going to give batters a second time out or something, and they're not. So we're going to deal with this. We are going to live in a pitch clock world. I read that in the first two weeks of spring training, on average, there were two violations per game. Now, is that a high number to you, Pete, if I told you on average there are going to be two violations per game it doesn't sound like a lot but it sounds like enough that it could still screw up depending on when the time is but yeah it doesn't well, sound like a lot two yeah, games not bad obviously if the violation is on a three two pitch with the bases loaded that's a big deal i i most of these violations have not been that they just haven't right? and they've been minor to say the least i did see one with luis severino and the Yankees a few days ago, in which they shouldn't have called a violation. Severino was in his, he was about to pitch, like he was moving his leg back as the clock hit zero. And the rule I understand it as, he has to be in his windup. He was already in his windup. So I thought they were too quick to call that violation against the Yankees. And Aaron Boone lost his mind. He got pissed off. He started screaming, Jerry. Jerry Lane was the umpire. Jerry, what are you doing? I think that, you got to let it get to zero without the guy moving his leg to be in his windup. I wouldn't be super, super picky with it. So I saw that violation, but it started with two violations per game. Now I'm reading it's down to one violation per game. So first two weeks of spring training, two. Last couple of weeks down to one. That's why I assume once this season starts, I think they're going to be rare. I don't think we're going to see a lot of these pitch clock violations, in my opinion. 